Hey, this is Richard, and you're listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Uh, before we begin, I just need to flag two key events that we've got coming up. Firstly, we're linking up with Shai Lin at Ecclesia in Lewisham on Sunday the 28th of October, 6.30 to 9.30. This is a free event, so please pick up a ticket via our website, or you can also get it directly via Eventbrite. And secondly, we're hosting our very own Black Berea live show on Saturday the 10th of November on Gender in the Modern World. Uh, there will be food and refreshments, performances, uh, live moderated podcast material and an open audience discussion. Uh, this event has sold out, however, so if you've got a ticket, then great, we'll see you soon. And if not, well, that's a shame. But... Uh, what you can do in order to avoid such disappointment in the future is subscribe to our mailing list. Uh, people who subscribe to our mailing list often get early access uh, to tickets, discounts, uh, free, free giveaways and, you know, just various other bits and bobs in terms of information. Uh, that said, thank you for listening and back to the podcast. A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Yo, 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 this is Richard once again from the Blackberry team. Uh, who's on the panel today? It's Israel. Kane Day. Ryan. Yannick. <laughs> Everyone's saying the more word answers. <laughs> All right then, yeah, so uh, I'm here with a few special guests today. Me and Izzy here with a few special guests. Um, yeah, we should get, let's just establish who you guys are really. Uh, do you want to start with Kane Day? Kane Day, who are you? Yeah, Where do um, you come from? I'm Kane Day Mateo. Mm. Elder at Hackney Evangelical Reform Church. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's it. All right. That's Glad to be on the podcast. Okay, then. Your life is as Elder. Okay. <laughs> Yannick, who are you? Uh, Yannick Christos Wahab. Uh, married to Kiton. Mm. Shout out to the wife. Um, <laughs> Yannick tried to make me look bad. I'm married to Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> we have a beautiful son yeah, called Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, at an elder at Brixton local church. Um, yeah, which I've started just recently. Okay then, and uh, Ryan, Ryan, yeah. you want to give a bit about yourself as well? Yeah, I'm I, I'm Ryan King. I'm pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Woodgreen. Um, I'm married to Uliana, and uh, love getting involved in um, ministry and church planting and yeah, all sorts yeah. of opportunities uh, wherever the, the Lord leads, really. All right, that's beautiful. And Izzy, Izzy, we all know you, but do you want to give us a bit just about like what you're doing right now? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you, Izzy? I'm a person. <laughs> I hear that. Um, I woke up this morning. Okay, we've got enough about Izzy. If you want to find anything about Izzy, you can you can go onto our on the Blackberry website, the About section. You can find you can find Izzy there. Um, Izzy, do you want to tell us what we're discussing today in particular? So we are going to essentially spend this podcast discussing the statement on social justice and the gospel that was released this summer. Yeah. Um, just to give a bit of background as to what happened. Uh, June 19th, um, this summer, 
a few guys, 14 guys, including um, um, Tom Askell, gathered together in Dallas to discuss what they consider to be some issues um, affecting the evangelical church. Um, things stemming out of culture um, that they felt were dangerous and damaging to the fidelity and the vitality of the evangelical church how, how broad are we talking here in terms of the things that are being that are being discussed uh quite broad but all sort of stemming out of recent conversations to do with social justice in particular okay um and so out of that meeting in dallas came the statement on social justice and the gospel and actually tom askell does a like a introductory um article on the website to this um statement where he actually describes the intent and purpose of this statement and he says for example um that when they met together they described errors in this movement which they called the social justice movement that essentially they all agreed was the most serious threat to the gospel that they had ever seen which was the main reason why they wanted to write the statement to clarify um, the true take on the gospel and edify, in their own words, um, and encourage um, Christians to give a closer examination of the things they consider to be of serious importance. Okay, then that's that's actually quite useful. Then, um, Yannick, in particular, how did you? Uh, you're all pastors here actually outside of me and Israel we're just you know we're just, we're just sheep trying to find trying to find answers but um Yannick how did you come across the topic what does this mean to you I guess as a pastor um what do you think of this topic in particular do you know yeah yeah uh, great question um I guess the issues surrounding this uh topic have been uh of interest to me for from a long time um both just in terms of kind of my personal interest I was always very interested in uh, civil rights uh, and the civil rights movement and the relationship between that and the church um, but perhaps particularly I spent three and a half years in uh, Birmingham I should, I should say Birmingham Alabama uh, in a church uh, a church called Iron City and, and, and in that church they were trying to do racial reconciliation in a city Birmingham mm. which was historically the most racist city um, mm. yeah in America w what did that look like racial reconciliation there yeah, so what were they trying to achieve? Yeah, good question. So, so it looks like, um, yeah, attempting to apply principles of the gospels uh, to to have a church that reflected what Birmingham actually looks like. Mm. Um, Birmingham is is still to till today quite segregated, mm. and so it was an intentional attempt to yeah have a gospel centered church, but a, a church that reflected that kind of diversity. And so while I was on staff there, particularly, um, yeah, began to wrestle through questions of yeah how. Does this relate to the gospel? How does social where does social justice come into this? Mm. Well, yeah, how do we properly understand racial reconciliation and so on and so forth? And mm. and and you you mentioned something quite interesting. I said you know what does this topic you know social justice mean to you? And you started mentioning civil rights. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan, how do you mm. specifically? How do you think we define this 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 topic social justice? What is what does that what does it mean to you? Yeah, um, I I I think it's great that Yannick's picked up on um, the civil rights. Uh, subject because frankly for, as someone born in Little Rock Arkansas 
USA, mm. a city which is uh, itself, you know, um, now based uh, in Woodgreen. Yeah, now based in <laughs> in Woodgreen, London. Uh, long story for another for another day, but um, um, uh, you know, the state that I'm I'm from uh, lynched more black people than any other state wow. in America. Wow. Um, just uh, have a look at Elaine, Arkansas. Um, uh, it, you know, obviously Little Rock, that's where I was born, um, uh, the, the high school and it's, um, you know, terrible, terrible history, uh, that, that is in my state. And, and so I'm, I'm approaching it, this as a white Southern American. Mm. And when I hear my white American brothers talk about social justice, the things that they are talking about, especially when they're being critical of social justice, are actually matters of racial reconciliation mm. because they're not critical about abortion mm. um, or, or they are critical of abortion. <laughs> they're not critical about people who are um, uh, anti-abortion. Yeah, yeah. But the moment someone raises their, their voice to say, we have a problem that runs very deep in our nation, far deeper than abortion um, historically— and has repercussions for the present day, that person gets shouted down. And frankly, that's kind of what I'm seeing in this pushback. Uh, it, it's not so much um, uh, about social justice, which is a very broad term. Mm. Uh, really, it's about the racial reconciliation component of Within social, social justice. justice. That's what yeah. you think is spot. That's what is. I think, yeah. Yeah. And, and and do you think oh, 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 candy? Do you think uh, there's what's it called? There's actually a biblical category, or there's a biblical kind of recognition for social justice, um, or a need for social justice. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, those of us who have known the the grace, graciousness of God. Um, who have known the compassion of God are called to um, seek that for others. I think it's it's very clear also in the Old Testament the Lord wants his people to act um, justly. It's really how we as, you know, bearers of the image of God uh, demonstrate uh, that, you know, we, 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 um, we reflect the, the character of God faithfully you know if god is just and we should be just and if god is a god who you know is a father to the fatherless and he defends the defenseless we reflect that when we do the same so absolutely that's a very uh biblical kind of. biblical uh demand yeah can i can i jump in here yeah, yeah go ahead something? go ahead something that commonly gets said is that you know there is no biblical category of social justice there's just justice that's a quote that i see shared so many times especially on social media and is that for or against the idea of social justice? that's against the idea it against? says the idea okay. of social justice is cultural marxism and the the uh, the thing is it comes from uh, a black brother in christ but the people who i see sharing it tend to be uh, white and they're they're um, you know I, I there's something doesn't smell right about that to, okay. to me yeah. but um, what what I am getting from this sort of uh, thing is is that oh you can only talk about justice not social justice which is 
ridiculous because, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, one, it, it doesn't pay attention to language and mm. translation. Yeah. And uh, in the Hebrew, uh, you would have uh, words that are joined t- together, tzedekah, a mishpat, for example, which would translate to something very close to social justice in our time. So, I mean, we're looking, we're looking at something that is biblical, but someone's saying, no, nah, it's not you know, because it's an adjective that we don't read in our Bible. Mm. And Substitutionary I, atonement isn't in our Bible either. Yeah, yeah, nor is Trinity. You know, it is, but it isn't. Yeah, but, yeah, but, right. but, but yeah, it's such a biblical concept. Exact, exactly. And, you know, we don't, and, and I don't think, especially it's funny because the people who are debating these things don't, you know, don't apply that kind of logic to any other, to many other kind of, you know, theological doctrines, etc. So, so I, I appreciate that. And in terms of, you know, Cain, picked up on this, this point that, you know, if God is just, we ought to be just. Um, but simultaneously, we think we see things in the scriptures like, um, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord, etc. And how do we kind of reconcile that? You know, as Christians, you know, Israel, you might be able to shed some light on this. As Christians, how do we reconcile the fact that we recognize that God is the ultimate, um, God will be just, the judge of all the earth will do that which is right, you know, um, and that vengeance belongs to him. How do we reconcile that with the need to try and seek vengeance or seek or seek justice rather in this sort of life um now on this side of eternity wow um <laughs> I, I think it starts by uh, recognizing that in the, in the christian context we are um called to reflect the character of god um and so if if as you rightly said that god is a god of justice then that means we are people who love justice as well and we are people who promote and um celebrate the justice we see in this world and also decry the injustice we see in this world because we are a people who want to imitate God who loves justice. Mm. Um, One of the um, metaphors that Jesus Christ used to describe the church is that they are a salt. And salt wasn't just um, a preservative, but it was also something that brought out the good. There's a dual effect of of, um, speaking to corruption but bringing out goodness at the same time. And I think that dual nature um, in our reflecting um, the heart for justice that God has means that we promote just acts um, in our own lives personally and in our environment because we are you know, embodied creatures, but we also speak against and decry the injustice we see because we love and long for justice. That was beautiful. So, so the next question then, and I throw this out openly, is this then gospel work? So should the, do, do you get the idea? So if this is something that Christians ought to seek, is, is this gospel work? Is this something we should see our preachers preaching from behind the pulpits? Or, or should the preachers, you know, essentially deal solely with that, with the matter of, you know, you're a sinner, you need to repent, you need to believe and you need to be saved and trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, at what, where is the, the balance, you know, in, 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 in this kind of conversation? Is it gospel work? Um, I'm, okay, I'm going to, okay, first of all, I'm going to say no and then define what gospel work is and take a step back because I feel like the definitions will inform the the understanding okay when when i and i and i think when i hear gospel work me personally when i hear gospel work um i hear the narrowly defined mission of the church in the preaching of the gospel essentially the great commission when i hear gospel work, that's what i hear cool so to tie 
um, the seeking of justice in the world to the Great Commission, there is a there is a connection between the two. Mm-hmm. But to call the Great Commission the work of justice, I I'm I'm not along. I'm not following along in that in that pattern of thinking. Um, I don't know what other people are thinking here at this point. Um, if they, <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they're so what are you guys thinking? What are you guys thinking? Has Israel lost the plot? <laughs> I actually I I I agree with. Israel, just on the on the basis that now, uh, of course, we're going to get into the conversation, but even the whole conversation on social justice. If you you know read stuff that's been put up, that's being put out there, one of the significant problems is just one of semantics and definitions. Mm-hmm. So the quicker yeah. we can agree on terms, terms, yeah, the true. better. And I think you know, I think it's it's probably as faithful as you can get to the terminology to say that gospel work is it was is, as Israel has, has defined it now at the same time the, the unfortunate thing is someone else who might s- certainly believe that and would would affirm that gospel work is in one sense narrowly to be defined as the great commission and so on might also use the term to refer to i think what what Israel was was about to suggest as as in a sense the implications mm. of yeah. the gospel we preach or mm. or the fact that I, I'll, just, I'll just say this the fact that one of the ways by which we the Lord uh, uses us to spread the gospel is how we live out the mm. implications mm. of what we believe you know how, how we live out the ramifications of our beliefs so, so, so on yeah. that note yeah. just, just, just quickly so I think of a, a text like James where he talks about um you know why? Just if if you say, if you see a brother who's in need, you know, and you know, let's say he's hungry or whatever, and and, mm. and you go to him and just say, you know, God be with you, like that's not enough. Feed your brother as well. Like, would you say that that's actually a form of gospel work in 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 a sense, even if we want to talk about it in the extended sense? Um. Yeah. I, I think. I. Yeah. I agree with Israel. I think in principle, uh, and maybe it's, this is just semantics, but I think. I think if if we're talking about gospel work and, and what we're saying is just the preaching of the gospel, um, then yeah, it's right. It doesn't belong to gospel work. However, I think if we use the term like the Great Commission, I, I think we have to say that the Great Commission, part of that is teaching them to, to right, obey right, all right, that I've right, commanded right, you. Right. And so I think the social justice belong to the Great Commission. It actually does. Mm. Um, because I think this is what Jesus has actually commanded people to do. But I also realise that people are trying to differentiate between the preaching of the gospel per se and then the implications and the applications. And, and, and to go to something that you said earlier, Richard, is should that be preached? Yes, because you, you always preach the application of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. Mm, okay. So I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the Great Commission and I see making disciples. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. before that even, go. Mm. Yeah. Go, make disciples baptize them, teach them to obey Christ's commands. Right. Yeah. And so um, the, the teaching to obey Christ's commands and also the, the, the make disciples thing has to have something in uh, uh, some sort of link or something in there has to yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with, with these implications that our, our brother was talking about. I mean, our, our Bibles don't just contain a, a great commission. They have a great commandment. Mm. And that is to to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Mm. And uh, James is an excellent New Testament letter that deals with uh, the what what we might more broadly say are social justice issues involving mm. um, class, 
uh, wealth, poverty. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. very important for for looking at that. And mm-hmm. and just being honest, I when I when I look at a lot of the dialogue coming out of fairly well-to-do American circles on this sort of subject. Because they are well-to-do, aren't they? Yeah, let's be, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're not suffering. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I you know, you know when, 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 when we see that, yeah, I, I, I do get I do get an insensitivity to, to the poor. That. Never, never mind um, matters of, of race and ethnicity. And I, I think that that's something that um, needs to be uh, revisited. And, and, and then do you think then if recognizing that a lot of the conversation is coming from maybe um, Caucasian, middle class, um, you know, faithful preachers, you know, um, on, on, on numerous topics. And obviously there might be, you know, there might be some some differences of opinion with regards to this particular topic. Do you think then there could that could potentially lead to a neglect in terms of social justice at that level or even you know even down in our kind of churches you know i guess in in the uk pastors etc are probably a lot less well paid than you'd probably be in america um a lot smaller churches those kind of things do you think it's it's possible that even in our kind of you know circles community environments we we could potentially be neglecting issues of social justice in the church practically speaking yeah, quite possibly. Um, not not least because of uh, I think we we sense very keenly our lack of resources. Um, we, however, have a great privilege in that, uh, at least in my experience, our churches are often comprised of those who need social justice, mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. who are suffering, people who are in need, and so we have a great opportunity as pastors in. Um, working class urban environments to um, to minister deep gospel centered social justice to our congregations in a way that is is biblical and uh, theologically robust. Beautiful. And um, just quickly, I guess I can open this up to any of you guys who are really free to answer this, but maybe at a personal level or or at a corporate level, or one of you can take you know or you can take an answer each or whatever. How do you think, you know, this topic or, you know, the need for this topic has affected you guys personally? You know, it could be in your ministry, it could be in your churches. Um, I, f- I find that it's affected me, well, it affects me really at a, uh, a church level, at ch- in church life. Um, I do think that so I think um, Ryan mentioned this a bit earlier, and really and truly, social justice is a broad is a, is a it's quite a broad broad term. You speak of social justice, you're talking about not just mm-hmm. uh, race, you're talking about class and and wealth distribution and stuff like that. But actually, the heat of the conversation in the church, anyhow, is race relations, and that's the that's that's what's causing much of the mm. um, the controversy, if you want. And um, I think. I find myself as an as an elder in a church that's a predominantly black church, um, but in in as carefully as I say this, what I think has been a predominantly white um, how do I put this? Predominantly white white space white space maybe reform the reform mm. space, mm. and I don't say that necessarily as even a criticism, just as a reality. And so, actually, you enter into you might not know it in, in, initially, but you do enter into a kind of um, conflict you enter into tensions when all of a sudden how does a predominantly black church do reform theology i don't buy that 
that's a matter of course and so that so you know um it's something that's easily understood i don't buy i think it takes untangling traditions yeah, and yeah. making applications and stuff so as a as a pastor i'm almost beginning to see that and that presents its 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 difficulties and maybe yannick do you want to do you want to take how, how has this affected you personally maybe yeah i think uh for me it's it's really been uh yeah again at a church level um trying to think through structurally how do we yeah how do we go about this how do we um first of all i guess just for members of the church at that level the level of just members how do we care for members well but also how do we do that in the community uh in a way that again reflects the primacy of the preaching of the gospel hmm. but and i think but also does you know actually attend to that matter i think there's a danger that we we say you know the gospel is m- most important and what we mean by that is we'll just do the gospel we won't do anything else um and yeah i, I think yeah I've, I've seen that even within the life of yeah uh books and local church i think often the way people approach this issue depends on what they are primarily scared of i think a lot of conservative evangelical churches are scared of social go- social gospel mm-hmm. and that's a reality mm-hmm. and, um, and and just for our listeners what is what is social gospel so this is a movement where people essentially over time began to say almost identify the gospel as the kind of social, social work that purely activism, social terms. Yeah. The social activism and so that that's a real and genuine threat mm-hmm. and then on the other hand i think you have people who are primarily afraid of the church's attitude towards things like slavery historically conservative churches particularly mm. uh things like yeah just race relations and so yeah trying to be biblically balanced uh on this issue i think is yeah has been a challenge um, mm, mm, mm. no i appreciate that and i guess just in terms of like theology and and like the the kind of source of this statement so for example would you guys want what kind of I guess we've touched on theology to an extent, but what do you think the source of this statement was? Because, you know, I think when I think back to, uh, is, it, um, is it the Nicene Creed? You know, you, you, you see that kind of, that was the one on the Trinity, right? Or was it the Athanasian Creed? Ath- Athanasian is Trinity. Mm, and Nicene was the difference between, um, not the difference between, homoousios. Um, well, still true, substance. Substance. Of yeah, substance. but that was like, that mm, was the lynch. And of, in English, <laughs> that means homoousios. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, basically, the Nicene debate that led to the Nicene Creed was regarding whether Jesus Christ was fully God. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There that we go. was yeah. the heart of the debate. And and and, and sorry, I, I bring up thankfully both of them. You know, the, both the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, because you know one of them is dealing with the with the, with um, whether Christ was God, and the second one dealing with the idea of the Trinity generally. And both of them emerged or was or were birthed out of controversies of the day Mm -hmm. and and by this and and from what i know anyway personally it feels like this was birthed out of a controversy and then the question is was this necessary um do we do we want to is the aim to view this particular um this 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 statement as something whereby in the future we'll look back and we'll see okay these people were wrong and these people were right is it you know what's the what do you guys think with regards to the the context out of which this particular creed was birthed i see man in the room are itching, itching. <laughs> i need to i need to speak up quickly <laughs> I'll, because, I'll let you uh, go first because <laughs> i actually signed the statement and it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. i know in this room that um that means i just committed a crime uh because and, and that's because i think on the i signed it fairly quickly on the face of it 
I think the, I don't think there's actually much to disagree with biblically from the statement. I think if the statement was written um, outside of its context, which your question you're asking about. Okay, so in pure isolation. From its context, I think you, you actually find that it doesn't say much that is controversial. Although, in hindsight, I don't know how possible it is to read or how fair it is anyhow to, to give a reading to the statement without its... Mm. Um, Without, without context, its context. Yeah. so actually the context becomes very important so a lot of the guys who you've seen analyze the statement have been concerned have had to they've said more than just what the statement itself has said they've been concerned with the context mm-hmm. um so yeah. um yeah to be honest I've, I, I've only just piped up because i went to confess i signed it but also <laughs> have you repented yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, have i repented <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> Retract you now. Anyone else? Um, yeah. Uh, after you. Um, yeah, I think the statement. Um, it's interesting. I, I, in general, I didn't kind of like exactly what Kane did said. I think a lot of the statements in and of themselves were fine, but I think they were meant to be read in a certain context. I think I've heard mm-hmm. certain people almost say as a, speak as if, you know, why are you reading it? in the context and yet the the articles have been put out sermons have been mm. put out to help you interpret mm. the statement yeah. uh, on on the the website itself there's a few articles and so i think in light of that which again i think the authors have actually encouraged us to do mm. in light of that i have mm. certain um yeah i have i have a few things that i'm concerned about that mm. said i do think one of the things that's been helpful and this is often the case in church history it has forced people to be to clarify what they mean on both sides mm. of the equation, I think people are becoming a bit more precise about how they use language. Mm-hmm. And that's a great benefit because I think there's been sloppiness on both sides in terms of how language has been used. I think in light of this statement, it gives you a kind of thing to for us to all talk about and to clarify how we use language. And that's that's a great thing. Mm. And, and, and and Ryan? Yeah. Sorry, I, Pastor Ryan? Yeah, no, it's fine. Ryan, Ryan's cool as well. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really, I didn't sign the statement. I was sent a draft before it went live wow. and was was asked to sign. I, I wasn't sent a draft, man. I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sent a draft either. I, <laughs> and I, I signed. I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it in good conscience. In fact, the, the, the first draft was worse than the published version. There, wow. was, there were some bits that were quite significantly reversed. Um, okay, yeah. I won't get into that now, but it was... Um, it, to me, seeing that first draft and seeing those who had signed it in that form was uh, enough to say, I see what the agenda is. I see what this is on about. Um, I had, uh, you know, I think it was done in the wrong way by the wrong people mm-hmm. at the wrong time. You know, there's also there, there's an argument to be made by some, and I think it probably has just at a confessional level. Uh, is it needed? People mm. would ask. I'm not the one to to withhold my name from signing statements because I, I you know, I'm I'm hyper confessional, and I, you know, I think that the the LBC 1689 is sufficient. No, I believe that the, <laughs> I believe that the scriptures are sufficient. By okay? the way, and LBC so, London yeah, Baptist that's Confession. It. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, is <laughs> the abbreviation, but uh, that's the radio yeah. station. Yeah, and so you know, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> radio uh, LBC 1689. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I, I would say, however, that we we do have in the LBC uh, sixteen eighty nine uh, number sixteen on good works, um, particularly um, uh, point two, uh, mm. also uh, chapter nineteen. Um, point six on the law, and uh, and then a, a lot of this is in response to it, it, it's in response to stuff a conversation that's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Remember, the Southern Baptist Convention was a an entity birthed out of slavery, and so what mm. I, I look at this conversation, I see a bunch of non-Southern Baptist guys or people on the fringes of Southern Baptist life making commentary on an in-house issue of people trying to do repentance for their history of, of racial sin. Um, and you know what? Uh, Southern Baptists have a robust statement on this uh, that you know, e- even people who would be in agreement with the statement, guys like Todd Friel, for example, have, have said he disagrees with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Chapter 15, which is on um, uh, how we— engage as Christians in society. Mm. And so I think there's confessional differences, uh, ecclesiastical differences that are, mm. that are going on that we do have to, to know. Um, was this needed? Not at this time. I think we, uh, uh, you know, of all the times to have a, a statement that seems to be against social justice, um, we're, we're just today, I, th- I guess, you know, I, I saw figures where, uh, refugees, Christian refugees being admitted into the USA have dropped by um, ridiculous amount. I think it was 64%. Hmm. And uh, the uh, housing of Christian refugees, so never mind refugees from other backgrounds, but you know, our our brothers and sisters in the faith Hmm. has been absolutely decimated. Uh, we have uh, nationally and globally alt-right uh, to far-right white nationalists to white supremacist movements that are on the rise. Um, pastors are still getting fired for trying to reach black communities. Mm. Um, a, a, you know, a church was disfellowshipped just this year from the Southern Baptist Convention for congregation-wide race, racial discrimination. Uh, a church in Jackson, Mississippi, Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church, um, would not let a black couple get married in the main sanctuary because of racially motivated complaints by members. Um, you, you know, the, 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 the list goes on. And so when we had um, black brothers and sisters earlier this year uh, stand up and, and reflect on 50 years since the assassination of, of Dr. Martin Luther King, um, they, you know, they were commenting on how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. And that three-day conference gave rise to like three months of um, nitpicking critiques that frankly missed the point. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's a very important uh, part that you've highlighted, just the the real causes for people's frustrations. And I think that's something that's often missed in this conversation that it can seem like it's a all of this is some abstract uh engagement in theological conversation but actually this is stemming out of the impact that um sins and racial issues have had on people's 
real lives. It's it's not it's not just um, let's have some intellectual conversation and and dig into words. It's how can we live faithfully according to God's word for the flourishing of other people. And and I I think something that's been quite interesting is generally speaking, there's there's been affirmations that the statement has been like relatively you know theologically sound in isolation etc and, and those kind of things but there was a particular um section on like victimhood in particular and the section on victimhood seems to as far as i can tell potentially deny that if not at least individuals classes of people can be deemed victims um how do we you know how do you guys feel with particular reference to that, Kay, do you want to do you want to give us some of your thoughts first on that one? Just because I know that um, you said, generally speaking, it, it, it was quite it was, it was it was relatively sound. Yeah, I mean, I still I still maintain that, um, but yeah, I also agree with your with, with what you highlight because I think what made me start to actually the thing that's probably caused me the most uh, disturbance about um, the men who signed the social. Uh, the the statement and the statement of social justice has been actually the rhetoric that has come out afterwards mm-hmm. on um on the issue of victimhood. I mean, I think Jim MacArthur preached those sermons yeah. after the statement. Three state three sermons yeah. on on social justice. Um, Justin Peters is it has an article, and and yeah, basically I where I think, I mean they they basically deny a biblical view i think of victimhood mm-hmm. basically and, and it's, it's in summary it's saying um there's no such thing as a victim because we've all sinned mm-hmm. yeah. which is a, mm. it's a it's 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 an it's an amazing error to make actually but yeah, really that's yeah. a fair summary of what they're saying Tech they say enough. listen um justin peters has an article on on the the website for the statement and he's basically addressing the same sentiments about victimhood. And he explains how, you know, he suffered with, with uh, cerebral palsy for most of his life, I think. And he doesn't count himself a victim because, um, you know, basically God is sovereign over the situation and, and things like mm. that. But, you know, that has nothing to do with the fact that you still could be victimized. Yeah. I mean, so someone in his position, you know, is actually more vulnerable and um you know you you we should be would be more concerned to provide actually a defense for him and to seek justice for him and you know and if someone wants to take advantage of his situation he would you know, he would be you know he'd be a victim and the conflation is is amazing to me but yeah, yeah. let me let the brother say more yeah as Kenny said the the things that were most distressing to me were particularly the sermons that came out of it from John MacArthur and the article by Justin Peters. And yeah, there's a conflation between innocence and uh, perfection and sinlessness. And so uh, this idea that because you are a sinner, you cannot be innocent in a given situation. Mm. Uh, And again, I think that's just to throw out yeah, much of what the Bible has to say about justice. The Psalms, particularly David, is again and again talks about situations where he is innocent He's being oppressed, but he is innocent in that situation. He's not saying that he is sinless, that he has never sinned, but in this given situation, he is a victim. Mm. Um, and and so it's there's numerous issues. There's the issue of the sensitivity and so on and so forth. But primarily, it's just a biblical issue. It doesn't make sense of the Bible. I think the the way that way of talking about victimhood doesn't make sense of yeah righteous suffering. Uh, that the Bible is full of. And, and I don't think, um, yeah. yeah, we don't do justice to, to people, but we also yeah. don't do justice to the Bible by talking about it in that kind of way. 
and and Ryan, with regards to like, for example, victimhood. So not just at on a one-on-one left level. So for example, my sin directly affects you as an individual, one mm-hmm. one individual to another. But as a collective. collective group of people, can 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 I then ultimately make another group of people collectively victims, or even yeah. even even let's let's take it directly to the to the issue at hand with regards to something like systemic racism or mm. or or what was a clear you know slavery those mm. kind of things yeah. can even the remnants of you know those kind of those those kind of racial undertones affect a generation further down the line to the extent whereby they're essentially oppressed as a people group or you know or absolutely even, yeah go on. absolutely i mean uh, we we had uh laws uh that created structures mm. and systems that were founded on the backs of people who were enslaved for no other reason than the color of their skin. Mm. Now, the, the, this this was a, a new form of slavery in the history of the world. You, you you had all sorts of reasons for which people were enslaved, and different ways in which people were enslaved. Yeah. But but racial uh, centric slavery uh, that denied personhood, mm. and after slavery was abolished with the shedding of much blood in the United States, people still got enslaved. Mm. Um, They just put another label on it. I mean, you had apprenticeships, right? Uh, And and these apprenticeships were ways of dressing up slavery. Um, You you had uh, all, all sorts of... Uh, uh, oppressive behaviors and segregation and um, you know are, are we we're, are we serious if we think that all of that just magically disappeared hmm. with the passing of a few laws hmm. absolutely not but absolutely back to the question about uh, victims yes you can have a collective group of people who make victims of another collective group of people you see that in the scriptures yeah I mean, talk about Israel in the land of Egypt, and it's very much an us and them type of thing. Mm. It, it, mm. You know, the Egyptians and the Hebrews talk about them going into the the exile and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the context of denying victimhood. I understand victim victimization. People, you know, can milk it, and there's there's some people who genuinely play to this. I I get that. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, um, I think that the uh, the original draft of the statement was pretty telling. Uh, I mean, the the published version says we reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. Okay, that sounds even-handed enough. Yeah, yeah. But the original draft, and one that many of the people signed, says we reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as entitled victims of oppression. Wow. Nothing about oppressors, just victims. Yeah, yeah. We further deny that one person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, oppression, or prejudice, uh, that brothers is is confessional mm. gaslighting. Um, one 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 of the 
the things that came to my mind um, when when I read that specific section that, that Ryan just um, quoted, uh, I, it took my mind back to Harvey Korn, and I, I feel like I've mentioned him before in the podcast at some point. Um, who he wrote a book called Evangelism, um, Doing Justice and Preaching Grace. And in that book, he has a section where he talks about his experience. He used to be a missionary before he became a professor. He was a missionary in Korea, South Korea. And he talks about how when he was getting trained in, in the US, he was trained in sort of, you know, middle class, white evangelical Christianity. Um, and he was trained to go there, learn how to preach the gospel. And he was entering Korea with the mindset, oh, you know, I'm going to go into this area. I'm going to preach the gospel to them. They're going to convert. Um, and people will be saved and then he goes into um, the red light district of Seoul um, South Korea and he starts speaking to uh, all these prostitutes and he's preaching to them and he's you know telling them to repent of their sexual immorality and he does his year on ends and just see no response and he starts to wonder what the heck is going on hold on why they're not responding can't they see their sinners they're engaging in sexual immorality they need to repent of it trust Christ and be saved that kind of thing it's very you know one plus one equals two and he starts to realize actually there's a lot more going on than just sexual immorality in quotes there's a whole system of oppression occurring in the red light district that there was this group of people pimps who were abusing these women that these women weren't they weren't engaged yeah they weren't engaged in um prostitution because they just couldn't control their sexual drive these pe- these women were being tricked into it they were being manipulated into it mm. their children were held at ransom and, and they were being told yeah they were told if you if you don't do this your children won't get the education they will starve um if you have to do this in order to, to get your housing we cover your your bills this they, they had no other option outside of this and for as long as he ignored that and pretended like it wasn't an, a thing the women weren't going to listen not because they didn't think the gospel wasn't something to be considered but they looked and they said what what do you actually expect us to do our our entire life has been designed so that we can't escape this web and you're just telling us to feel bad about it what does what does that do and so when he realized that he started preaching not just against um um the the person as a sinner but the um preaching against the woman the woman as sinned against by other people and actually he's preaching against the, the the pimps who were oppressing them and actually doing justice with this this, this this the whole frame of the book doing justice in that saying actually this web of oppression needs to be prophetically spoken to and dismantled so that the women are free and in that context the preaching of grace as he says actually enables the women to take the gospel as they walk away from that lifestyle because they are free from the pimps who are oppressing them i think that's that's the kind of thing that i wonder would, would john mccarthy not see that mm. you know that, that that kind of thing needs to be done in that context a whole group of people are victims of oppression and the gospel needs to speak to that issue so that they can actually receive christ in his in, in his fullness and and something that i think is now quite interesting is if we if we affirm that a collective group of people can essentially be um classed as oppressed from the christian worldview you know there's there's certain kind of christian uh, theological groups out there that would essentially class themselves as reconstructionists so they would so they would ultimately seek to to bring you know laws of christendom into into the the public sphere should we as christians therefore seek to you know not just affirm 
that justice should be a, an outworking of the gospel but should we be seeking for those kind of laws that would help to correct some of these social imbalances etc in you know in society is that should that be part of the christian's mentality as well um yes so i think again i don't think that's something that anyone actually disagrees with um again taking if you take the issue of abortion which i think is an issue of social justice yes mm. uh few conservative Christians would deny that you would like, you would want abortion to be illegal. Mm. Um, you, you, It would be a good thing to seek for that to happen. Um, and so, yeah, Christians should be, yeah, Christians should absolutely be involved in that. And I think on a different level, um, even within the church, I think sometimes we assume this is an issue for outside of the church. Even within the church, we can talk about classes of groups that may be oppressed. And I know that's sometimes denied, but again, the book of James, or, or yeah, he, he talks about the, the rich and the poor. He's talking about believers and classes of believers that are oppressing and being oppressed. And again, so again, I think within the church and outside of the church, Christians should be, yeah, should be pushing for things to be more just while at the same time realizing that, yeah, final justice won't ultimately be accomplished this side of, of Christ's return. I wonder if, if, if Richard is hinting at things like affirmative action, that would be a form of seeking to... Yeah, seeking to rectify. So yeah, so yeah affirmative action yeah. is a is an interesting example because if we're so quick, I, I like it, we're, we're quick to actually put in this particular podcast racism in the same kind of sphere as abortion because we recognise they're both forms of injustice that that's occurring a denial of humanity um whether it's at the fetal level or it's at the you know the the, the racial level or the socioeconomic level etc etc whatever it may be would affirmative action be something that you should then seek to see in laws uh, and Ryan, Ryan, have you got any thoughts on this? Well, just, I mean, just just look at the church in the Book of Acts when they had a controversy, which uh, basically was a social justice issue within the church, where you had uh, Hellenist widows. Yeah. That is, they they were Jewish believers, Jewish background Christian believers, with uh, Greek culture and language, and they were being neglected. It's not just that they felt that they were being neglected. They were being neglected in the distribution to the widows and the, the orphans that the church had going, mm. right? This, the sharing and stuff that's, that's going on, you know, they're missing out on that. And so they make a complaint. They mm. say, mm. we're getting missed. And how did the apostles rectify that? Well, they appointed deacons, who are those deacons? Every one of them was a Hellenist. Mm. One of them wasn't even, uh, you know, uh, a Jew by birth. He's identified as a proselyte. That is, he was yeah, a yeah, Gentile. Yeah. Who? You know, so, so I mean, that, that people throw around, you know, uh, the the term affirmative action like it's a nasty mm. idea or yeah, concept yeah, yeah. or. Marxist or something. It's simply about trying to to um, you know turn the wrongs down and mm. elevate the rights and so, to respond to oppression. Actually, exactly, to, to exactly. Recognize the effect of oppression and try to redress it. 
Yeah. And and should we, so I should be fighting for my mule if I was in America. I should be fighting for my mule and my my all my what's it called? Well, that's not affirmative. Ac- that's not affirmative action. Whatever whatever mule you're fighting for, that's. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I do think um, it's helpful to say as well that I think th- there is freedom to disagree right. on how exactly justice should be done. Right. Um, and again, I think this is where we have to be careful. Um, to say that we're seeking justice doesn't mean that everyone needs to be for affirmative action. True. Right. That may be the way you best think that this would work. And, and when it comes to how we can best do this in the world, Christians have to realise that we will disagree with one another. Where we shouldn't disagree is that there, there is a need for justice. We should be all seeking justice. But in terms of how that is best implemented in a fallen world, um, I think we should be careful not to be too dogmatic on those kind mm. of issues. Funny enough, I think of Solomon and the way that he, uh, <laughs> and the issue of the baby that was brought before him mm. and the two women fighting over the baby. And, you know, when you say, which, who does the baby really belong to? And, and you essentially said, you know, we'll give each woman half of the baby. Um, that's not really the way that most people would have seen, you know, justice occurring in that kind of situation. Obviously, you know, he does it because, you know, as a wise man, he figures out that, you know, the woman who is ultimately the mother will say, no, you have because I don't want to see my baby cut in two, mm. and 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 that's and but but like you said, it's it's not always the the way. Just just because we affirm justice doesn't necessarily mean it will always come about in the exact same way that we that we think it should come about. And I think about. that point is really I find that so important in the current conversation, the current climate. I th- I think actually believers have disagreed with each other almost to the point of accusation. You know where mm. there's disunity simply because they they don't. S- see eye to eye on justice issues so i mean to even i could get deeper i think for example how much do you require a white evangelical for example to agree with my um, analysis of the plight of Mm. the black in america you know um i don't know yeah and and can i speak to that as a white from america (laughs) i i i think that um it's incumbent upon me to to seek to um, to seek to c- consider the needs of my brother before my own, to consider his perspectives before my own, to put his uh, you know place before my, to think less highly of myself and to think more highly of my brother. But that sort of stuff's not you know not happening. happening, and mm-hmm. and so. Uh, when when I listen to my brothers and when I I, I listen to uh, to you know the things that they're saying, if they're saying there's a problem, I want to, I want to listen closely. Mm. If, if they're saying that they're victims of oppression, I want I want to know victims how and and uh, and I want to empathize with them, weeping with those who weep, uh, 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 weeping with those who weep. That's actually a very interesting point. Just to just to maybe make the conversation even even more specific. Ryan, I'll ask this to you in particular. Then Yannick, I'll ask you a different question. Ryan, do you believe in that there's a thing, uh, appreciating that you know people a people group can be oppressed by a different people group, do you think there's actually such a thing then as white privilege? Yes, I do. Ooh, okay. I, I, can I yeah, substantiate yeah, could, yeah. what I mean yes, by that. Yes, yes, please. I, I, I think that in uh, an, an American context, especially, but um, or British context, let's talk about that because I mean, uh, the, actually, statistically, the disparities in Britain are actually worse than in cool. the USA if cool. you look at those. Cool. Um, so, 
uh, yeah, when, when it comes to, when it comes to, to me, uh, I'm, you know, when I say I believe in white privilege, I'm not saying that I don't suffer. Mm. I, I'm saying that I don't suffer because I'm white. I see. Right? So, so my whiteness doesn't tend to factor into my suffering. Okay. That's not normative. If it were to, the chances are that it would be a reaction of someone who is taking out their anger for harm that they've experienced mm-hmm. at the hands of someone who's white. But even then, I still have the upper hand. Yeah, yeah. In a way. Do you but, see what I'm saying? But but if you have the upper hand, then the next, I guess, before I even come to Yannick then with that question, it does racism then by necessity or, or in the way that it plays out, is it always systemic? No, no. I mean, r- there's all forms of racism. Racism happens at systemic and... Um, interpersonal uh, kind of... You know, interpersonal individual levels. Absolutely. Because mm. then the next question then is, Yannick, can, can black people then be racist as well? Um, yeah, uh, important question. I think it, it depends on how we're using the term. Mm. Um, it depends on how we're using the term. Um, can black people be discriminatory? Yes. And if you, if, if what we mean by racism is, can black people hate another race just because they're of a different race? Absolutely. Yeah, we're sinners. Can, yeah, can black people think that their race is superior? Yes, they can. And I think you've seen, you've seen things like that. Um, but where, where, where? Out of curiosity. Yeah, I think, and, and this is th- in terms Shout of out the black Hebrews. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in terms of this statement true, true. Th- that raises an important issue, I don't think this statement was helpful. But do I think there was something needed on this issue? Yes, because I think there's almost a fundamentalism sometimes about some of these things that we're not careful enough to check, and so there is a lot of. Yeah, you know, obviously black is beautiful. These are fantastic things. But I think in some places left unchecked, they've led to almost black is superior. So yes, I think Mm. that's true. But even in that case, uh, even in the case that a black person thinks that they're superior by virtue of their race, you would have to say then that there's still power structures involved that make it a bit different from a bit different than from the white person. So, so a good example, mm. I think when you ask me that question, it's, it's almost asked the question, can a woman be sexist? And you want to say in one sense, yes, but in another sense, no. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, I, because you, you're, you're saying you're talking about slightly different things. But to say that, it's, to say, even if you were to say black people can't be racist, if, if you're hating someone because of the color of their skin, it, it's hateful to God. So mm. I think we we, oft, we should be perhaps so less concerned it, with the label of whether it's racism or not mm. and realize that it, it's sin before God. And I'd say, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a, a, a hot topic type thing. And I've often found that, okay, at, at one level, at a high level, those who are saying black people can't be racist are making almost a kind of philosophical, socio-political statement, you know? Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a way in which they understand racism and they're in applying it. In terms of the socio-economic, uh, you know, but that's, involved, Yeah, but that's not actually the, you know, the day-to-day use of racism as a, as a word that we're, we're all usually accustomed with. We call someone racist or we charge someone with being racist. We're literally, we're usually talking, or at least for many people, they're just speaking about someone thinking, that they're superior to me because of the color of their skin mm. or someone dismissing me. And I think it's very important to use le- um, language in the way people understand. So the moment you start to say black people can't be racist and yet someone in their mind, they understand racism as 
synonymous with prejudice or being discri- discriminatory because of color of their skin, you're telling them it's impossible for a black person to treat a white person or an Asian person in a way that um, the fa- kind of defaces the image of God or denies the image of God in them. And that's something you have to be careful of because racism is a, at that level. Racism is a is a terrible sin, both in in, in all people at, at that level and we can, we can we can say amen to that but also as we say enter into the conversation when people say black people can't be racist if they're if they're speaking about at this systemic level where they're acknowledging white privilege and stuff that's a totally different conversation mm-hmm. 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 And, mm-hmm. and i guess a, a, another question sorry guys just because there's so much for us to to get through and this is wonderful stuff um does do we then believe that racism so just bringing it home a bit do we believe that it exists within the church um, and if and if it if it does exist in the church, how do we how do we tackle it? How do we tackle it outside of the church? You know, how do, how do we handle these kind of things? Um, Izzy, do you want to say something? Um, I I think so. To 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 add a bit to 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 what's been said already in terms of racism. So there's essentially the, there's the two layers or levels to this in terms of there's the individual personal level of one-to-one individual um, persons and then there's the there's the systemic slash institutional level and and like Kinder said the everyday use so if you bumped into someone on the road and you said you're being racist is going to be interpreted at the personal individual level Um, but one thing I wanted to clarify and add to is that when and I think this usually comes out and it has come out in the conversations around this statement and what's led up to it if someone says to so if and this is this is usually the context a black person says to a white person you're being racist right now for doing something that appears seemingly to the white person is totally just not racist mm-hmm. it's usually referring to the white person acting out or following um the the prescribed norms of an institutionally racist ethos so when you've seen in the, mm. when you've seen in the um in the social media world uh a, a comic came out so for example the comic came out of serena williams um when she had the um pro- she was outraged at the umpire for giving her penalty and penalizing her mm-hmm. and everyone said that comic was racist mm-hmm. what they were what they were saying wasn't that you sir who drew the comic thought oh she's black she's inferior i'm going to depict her inferiority what they were saying to him is that you are acting out a systemic action of racism embedded in the social norms of our society and therefore you're doing a racist act so they are drawing from the institutional and saying it is coming out in your work this systemic form of racism and i think that's important when we speak about the church because yeah so that's and that's that's where it ties in because so i'm saying on, on two levels therefore there's okay there's obviously and in the church, and I think in the, in the US church, it's, it's most evident to see, but it's not absent in the UK church, that there is the sort of blatant um, personal individual racism. And, and we had some um, examples that Ryan gave us, for example, in a, like in Jackson, where uh, a, a person, um, a couple weren't allowed to marry yeah. in the main sanctuary because of racial pre- prejudice and so on and so forth. Yeah. But then there's also just going, there's going to be things like, um, racism from individuals that acts out an an institutional norm of racism um so the idea that uh the heritage of the black church is inferior for example in 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 church tradition to the heritage and i'm using those words carefully the heritage of the white church 
Um, and that's going to play itself out in terms of what is seen, therefore, as more sound and more biblical. I remember myself when I when I was, when I was coming to sort of like a, a point of self awareness. For example, I used to when when I came out of the um, let me say this carefully when I came out of the sort of Pentecostal world, um, African Pentecostal Pentecostalism in particular. There was, there was this like initial knee jerk reaction of, oh, then they haven't got it together like the reformed people have. But then when I started re-examining, I realized actually half the songs they sing are psalms. That just that just that just changed my my mindset in in, in the sense that my initial reaction was, <laughs> oh, their 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 actual songs are inferior to Charles Wesley and so on. But when I examined the text. I, I saw the rich biblical exegesis inside of it. Now, there were things that I still disagreed with. It, was, it wasn't to say that I was converted over, but it was to say that there were, there were actions um, that I was exhibiting that inhibited me from seeing what was sound in them because I made assumptions about the institutions. Yeah, I, I think I've heard it when I, when I first came to my church. I remember one, one brother just telling me, you know, um, when when these kind of things started to come out, the brother literally just told me, you know, white white is right. Um, that's essentially how we treated. That's how essentially how we referred to reform theology, which was which is a shame because you know, mind you, I, I think I think uh, we went to an event just recently um, at Block. Shout out Block. Shout out shout out <laughs> shout out Yannick and Block. Um, and there was essentially a question that was levied at the com- at this like uh, this event, and and the question that was levied was essentially something along the lines of. You know why are you falling for this like eurocentric religion um because when all is said and done you know the african man has played no part in this it's all the it's all the white man's religion and you know our beloved brother yannick actually i i, I, I might as well just steal his response you know and and and, and claim it as my own but essentially like he, he went and brought out you know the fact that when all is said and done you know black people have also played a you know a wonderful role in in reformed theology you know you think about the the likes of augustine uh Tertullian, uh, Cyprian of Carthage, you know Alexander, all, all all of those kind of guys, and we start to and we start to name them one by one, Athanasius and whatnot, let, and, let. And, and you just see all of a sudden that you know the very men who we love and quote your Luthers, your Edwards, your your Whitfields, your you know etc cetera, etc, cetera, they are all standing on the shoulders of the very men you know from who who were based in 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 a theological school in Egypt. Luther was influenced by this, uh, by the Ethiopians, wasn't he? Michael yeah. the deacon and whatnot. Mm. Uh, you know, no yeah. one knows about that. <laughs> so, now, I can imagine someone listening to this and responding and saying, um, who cares what color so-and-so is? You know, it's just, it's truth. And I, and I want to I wanna agree with that at one level. So similar to um, Israel, came out of African Pentecostalism, I also now say that carefully because I know without a shadow of a doubt those are brothers and sisters mm-hmm. there. I'm not sure about the rich biblical exegesis of the songs. I mean, Israel will show me some of them tracks. But anyway, the point oh, is... I will. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, I, I came out of that to reform theology, which is, listen, heavily a white space. Um, you just mentioned Calvin and Whitfield and Edwards and those were the men as as, as a young black reformed uh, Christian, those were the men who, and those are those are still the men, Spurgeon, who had the greatest influence, and those men are all white. There's, there's no need to mm. dispute that. But you see, the thing is, they're white, but what they possess is not white. What they mm. possess is, mm. is 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 God's truth mm. that He gives to all His people. It's gold. The 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 the, the, the point <laughs> the, the point where we can speak about 
if it, just you use the term in the context we were talking, racism is when, because the gospel is bound to have cultural expressions, you know, that's, mm. that's something that God has chosen to glorify his gospel in and through the diversity of, of creation and, and, and different nationalities. When, in, if to put it like this, white cultural expressions become equated to, um, mm. uh, you know, almost shared godliness. as inspired and, mm. and godliness. And that's where I think actually we're, we're untangling the implications of, of racism in, even in reform settings. So I, I would agree then with um, Israel that I came out of African Pentecostalism thinking that, you know, because they were, I don't know if they're more lively or um, they, they are a bit, a little noisier or they raise hands, then they must be, um, whatever it is that I uh, associated with, with black cultural expressions, I treated that as inferior when really, um, they were both viable means of, of communicating the glorious gospel of our Lord. So I say at that level, we, we deal with that. Yeah. And I'll just add for, for people who want to, um, read up on this further uh charlie charlie dates has an excellent article on um on this um on why so i can't remember the title of the article but essentially him saying why i will not believe in the black church um and he obviously he, so he's an african-american baptist preacher in chicago and one of he the saw, best <laughs> one of the best and he saw I'm and just, he saw i'm just glad that there's guys in london other than me, who like Charlie Day. <laughs> yeah. One of the best, yeah. if you can, yes. take a look. Um, and he basically saw, you know, people, he saw lots of African-Americans who once they became reformed, um, Calvinist, evangelical, whatever, mm. sort of said, oh, I can't ever go back to the black church. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like we have a deep uh, uh, um, theological tradition that is um, biblically faithful. And then, he, so his entire PhD, for example, was on the, um, fidelity of black gospel preaching in Chicago and his article on this is excellent so check it out yeah um, that's actually uh, please if you if you don't know Charlie Davis, please do check him out and I guess one of the things that I just wanted to, to ask now really based off you know the kind of conversations we've had and especially off Israel and in Kanye's terms of just them saying they've come out of this African Pentecostalism um, and, and, and them using those kind of words carefully, but also recognizing and appreciating they are brothers and sisters there and there are beauty. There is beauty in some of the things that they really do partake in, even if you do have your disagreeances. Um, is there such, like, how should the church embrace different cultures? How should we, um, is there such a thing as a Christian culture? Like, is it homogenous or do are we expecting to see like diversity, you know, and, and in, 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 in the Christian, in all these kind of different like cultures that do enter into, into the church? Um, and, and, you know, can I, can I start with um, Ryan because he's based in Wood Green mm. as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a Caucasian American? Mm. Um, and then Yannick also, just because you're braced in the, the, the melting pot of London, Brixton. <laughs> so uh, Woodgreen is a place of just, I think, between 150 and 300 different languages are spoken wow. in uh, the local schools. Um, my church is uh, not a massive church by any means. But we would routinely have between you know fifteen and twenty nationalities represented wow. on a Sunday morning, and that that can be out of a group of thirty, you know. And wow. so, yeah. so it's it's uh, rich, yeah. it's diverse. I am uh, as as you've noted, uh, you know, a white pastor. Uh, my church is uh, historically uh, for for uh, well the first. Um, 
15 years of its existence, it's been a, a black majority church. But uh, when I look at, at the people, I, I don't just see the, the colors of their skin. I see their um, ethnic groups, not even their nationalities. Uh, right. You know, the, right. so, so, you know, we'll have uh, Igbo and Yoruba worshiping mm-hmm. side by side. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, and, and uh, so, I'm married to one of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we, we have one of these things where, where it's like, um, we, we sometimes think that, unfortunately, historically, I think people have treated Christianity as uh, synonymous with white culture. And I think you've already done a good job of, of refuting that. Um, historically, it, nothing could be further from the truth. God changes us, yes. God makes us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, more like Christ, Yes, so Christ becomes the defining aspect of who and what we are, but our culture is still going to be influencing us in some ways and intact in some ways. Where you know the, those people who piously say that, oh no, you know it doesn't do that. They're 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 absolutely wrong. Mm. Uh, so, so there are tastes that people have, preferences that people have. This is borne out in Scripture. So. Um, what, what I see is a, a genuinely multicultural church in the New Testament. Read the book of Romans, and one of the major things that's going under that letter that, that people miss is tension between Jews and Greeks. And uh, the, yeah, um, the yeah. problem in other places, like in Galatia, was where you had um, uh, Jewish professing Christians looking down at the Greeks and, and even preaching a false gospel to them, saying you have to become like us to mm. be Christians. In the church at Rome, you had some of that of a lighter variety, because Paul doesn't call it a false gospel, what was going on. But then you have most of the letter to the Romans, he's addressing Greeks who are sneering at their Jewish brothers. And he, he's saying, mm. you know, stop, stop dissing Israel, because, you know, this is, this is my people, and this is, um, you know, what God has in store mm. for, for, for them. And so, you know, as, you, as you're looking at, at, at this, throughout the New Testament, we see a picture of a genuinely multicultural church, not united around culture, but united around Christ. And working through the issues of culture. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and that's difficult sometimes. Mm. But that's what true unity is. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Mm. Unity is, is born out of diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Yannick, uh, yeah, in terms of um, yeah, I would add to that. I think um, th- this is one of the reasons, I won't say it's the only reason or the central reason, but one of the reasons why circumcision becomes such a huge issue in the New Testament is um, it's almost said that if you really want to f- please God, you need to become circumcised. Essentially, if you're a Gentile and you really want to please God, you need to become a Jew. Um, mm. And if you follow that through all the way through, that that's anti, that, that's against the gospel, because the gospel is the message for for all people. Uh, and in subtle ways, I think there have been ways in which it's been said: if you, if you really want to be godly, you need to worship in this particular cultural style. Um, and again, I think that's to deny something that's that's really close to the heart of the gospel, which mm. is that God has saved people from all kinds of different cultures. And so, yes, we should see cultural diversity. I think we should be very sceptical of assuming that our culture is necessarily right. 
Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that a, a certain cultures might do not do things better, but we should be very sceptical of that. I, I mean, I think particularly in the, the area of worship, it's, you know, sometimes the accusation against some people and their worship is, you know, they've got drums and keyboard and, and you know, worship is meant to be simple. And yet the organ is, is a very complicated instrument. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very complicated instrument. So so I think sometimes we, we, we can spiritualize some of our cultural differences. And I think one of the best things, apart from reading the Bible, but one of the things that is really helpful is actually to spend time with faithful Christians from different cultures and so on and so I think a lot of it is in our mind. I think when you go and you, you meet people from different cultures and, and realize these are godly people, these are godly men and women um, to do things slightly differently, a lot of the stereotypes that we have mm. often come down by themselves. We don't necessarily need someone to tell us. Yeah. We realize that godliness doesn't look like uh, insisting upon my cultural preference in, in yeah. worship or so on and so forth. Mm. Their principles... Uh, and those principles are clear. Again, I think it's it's surprising that sometimes the people so quick to um, insist upon their cultural preference are those who also have a seemingly such a high view of the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm. Mm. If, if Scripture is sufficient and it tells us all we need to do about worship, it tells us all the principles we need. Uh, to use the organ or not use the... It, or not use an organ, is not in scripture. And therefore, uh, you can't insist upon that. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's inconsistent to, at one sense, hold, hold to the sufficiency of scripture, and on the other hand, insist upon extra biblical uh, cultural norms as defining true worship or mm. true true godliness. You know, there was, some, there was something really interesting that you said, actually. Um, and I think it was just on... <sighs> It was just it was just on the, the way that you dealt with essentially what racism looks like and and and, and what the otherness element because I guess the, the more I considered though that, that text and you know just the beauty of heaven and and the beauty of the different kings bringing in their glory and 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 and, and just what and the different nations coming in with their glory and what that ultimately reflects is when all is said and done just prefacing that is the fact that first and foremost God and His glory mm-hmm. will be present in heaven. And then it speaks about the fact that the various nations will bring in their glory. And what you realize is that when all is said and done, the glory of the nations is always going to be derived from the glory of God. Um, our glory can't transcend or doesn't add something new to God's glory that, that that's not already present. It's it's merely us reflecting different elements of his glory as image bearers of, of Christ. And having that kind of reality in 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 mind automatically makes you realize that you know as, as as ryan said beauty is therefore not found the beauty of unity isn't found in uniformity you know you don't look at a a, a, a garden full of lilies and says that's the most beautiful you know garden you could ever see it's the it's the one that has lilies and dandelions and and, <laughs> and the other flowers that exist out there <laughs> you, know, they, you know you know that's that's the, that's the one that's most beautiful and can um, i just add, can i just add as well that it's then up to faithful leaders Christian leaders to lead their congregation in um, faithful cultural expressions of worship that are consistent with the scriptures and so affirm both the unity and diversity of the church. And, and one thing is, I think Christians just have to be comfortable with going to other congregations, being open to realizing that there might be, well, congregations will differ and so cultural yeah. expressions will, will be different. And so worship can at least on the face of it, look different. You know, they can be expressed differently and still be, yeah. And what, what we, what we lose is as you know, Yannick's been banging on about the organ and stuff, but what we, what we then lose is we, we go to another church. Like you go to a, from a church like ERC, 
you find the godly worship for just an organ and then you go to <laughs> <laughs> no 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 and then Don't you go you, well you go to the you go to block and you might see a different you know different things mm-hmm. involved in, in 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 at worship and you're 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 all of a sudden you 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 think there's some kind of um, issue. There's a lack of fidelity here, mm. and, and you you want Christians to be trained to to to, to know better than that. Mm. Mm. I, I guess just just because of of time and and etc. One one thing that I would quickly do is, will allow everyone to to provide closing remarks to round up, um, but I'll also pose one question to each of you. It'll be a different question for each of you, and I just want you to address it briefly, concisely, and simultaneously round up. And just give your views uh israel just for you i guess my question would be is racism heresy is racism heresy <laughs> thanks <right> concise. <laughs> concise yeah i don't know what that word means i'm so sorry i don't speak spanish okay so um is is racism heresy uh that you have to define both words and and that's that's an entire phd um which i'm not going to do here um Heresy, I would say heresy uh, relates to anything that departs from um, core foundational um, Christian beliefs, doctrine. Um, and I would find that in the, in the ecumenical creeds, essentially Nicene, um, Apostles Nicene, Ephesian Creed um, and Chalcedonian. Um, I, I, on, on the one hand, I wouldn't say racism and heresy in, 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 in terms of that specific relation. So if I'm looking at the, the, the ecumenical creeds and I'm relating racism to any one of those, I wouldn't find it there. And in that sense, I wouldn't define it as heresy. However, I would define it as heresy in another sense in regards to um, the denial of a core Christian belief of um, humanity made in the image of God. Mm. Um, and I think that, and I would, and I would still class that as a foundational Christian doctrine. And as as far as racism says that in built in different racial groups, there is a um, difference of value, worth, dignity, um, and respect. I would say that's a denial of what God has said clearly in His Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and therefore it is heresy in that it departs from what Christianity has affirmed and taught from its very beginnings. Thank you for that beautiful one. Um, and let's go to Kane Day next. Kane Day, my question to you would essentially be, was Jesus invested in social justice? And as you, again, as you answer this, can you just provide uh, some closing remarks and, and round up on your part as well? <laughs> Concise, Kane Day. I was going to pick up on how he fed the 5,000, but Yannick said that's not social justice. <laughs> so um, um, was he invested in social justice? I, I think I think yes. I mean, just on the face of it, um, he was, our Lord is, was invested in, in restoring all of humanity. Mm. Um, and that's not just, you know, the soul and salvation from sin, but the body and bringing us into back into a relationship with God mm-hmm. uh, where we then are, you know, are, are being transformed according to his image. Uh, that's the image of Christ. And so we reflect God and who the true God is. And I think, as we said earlier in the in the um, podcast, the true God is the God of, of justice, mm-hmm. is a God who defends the defenseless. And so in as much as Christ is forming men like that then then yeah but even in what in the general trajectory of our lord's ministry you know we we saw how he 
reacted to the um, the Pharisees who, at least in a religious form, were oppressors of the day, mm. you know, and he hated their form of religion, mm. a religion that put burdens that couldn't be carried upon you know the the masses and he spoke he spoke against that form of uh, that form of uh, uh, oppression so yeah i think our lord was i mean invest in social justice i think yeah, yeah i mean you know exactly and that tells you how how our lord saw the 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 character his 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 disciples should have but yeah sorry so um so yeah was our lord invested in social justice i i get your question i think you know what he was invested in is we want to say is much greater than that is the glory of God and doing the will of God but in as much as that included uh, social justice I say yes yeah 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 and um, Yannick uh, should the believer I guess should the should the believer not look at all at like his uh, his concern or his or her concern for social justice as a marker of grace the grace of God within them so you know how much emphasis or concern I place on social justice should that be a marker of how much you know how mature I am in the Christian faith how much grace the Lord has already given me yeah that's a great question uh, I think my answer is yes and no um, so mm. yes in the sense that um, yeah grace is God turning us so that we become more and more into the image of of him of himself of Christ himself and so we become more and more like God and God is just uh, however and, and I think this is important I think the social justice can be a means of self-justification. And I think sometimes we think, because I care so much about social justice, therefore I'm right with God. Um, And social justice, just like anything else, uh, cannot be used as a means of self-justification. And so sometimes I think we we can, especially in comparison to one another, uh, we can say, these people don't care about social justice. I care about social justice and, and find some pride in the fact that uh, we care about social justice rather than realise that if that's genuine, that that's a fruit of grace, um, but it's not the means by which we stand before God. Um, mm. So yes, it can, it is an evidence of God's grace, but I think it because we are ever trying to justify ourselves, it can easily become a means by which we try to justify ourselves before God. And in that sense, I think that's negative. And I guess in just in closing, I, I think what I would say is, yeah, this issue I've found has just been very divisive. I think mm, it's, it's important polarizing. to say that it's been very polarizing. Uh, I think it's caused a lot of grief on both sides. And, and I think one thing that would be really helpful in terms of just going forward is just the need for Christians to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Um, yeah, if someone believes in social justice, that doesn't make them a liberal Marxist. Mm. And if someone doesn't agree that there is white privilege, it doesn't make them a racist either. Mm. Uh, we need to speak more carefully about our brothers. We need to be careful about slander. Um, because again, we're going to stand before God and give an account. And I think we ought to show each other more charity on both sides of this of this equation. Mm. There's a tendency to demonize one another. And I think that's one of the things that's made this conversation quite toxic in a lot of ways. Mm. And yeah, there, there just needs to be more charity shown and more care in how we interact with people that we that we disagree with on this on this issue. That's that's crazy. I think uh, just as, as I think Albert Mola said this, but when you look at some of the old creeds, you see that it was literally the difference between outright heresy and, you know, 
a sound a sound group of individuals or the church at lot uh, you know the catholic church in the sense of the whole the whole orthodox church of god in this particular argument it's between you know faithful evangelicals and faithful evangelicals generally and so you want to kind of make sure you're not you're not being so quick to you know it's 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 such a different kind of argument it's, it, it is different and just quickly on the point that Rannick raised I saw a podcast Todd Phil did recently mm. where he spoke about Amola's Amola, uh, um, address the address and it was something along the lines of you know are we going to do away you know are we going to get rid of Amola now because he disagrees and he makes a similar point saying no you know Amola's going to be at all of our conferences and my concern, and I might be wrong here, but my concern was Todd Phil does that podcast because he thinks, wow, I was one of us. And he's spoken in a way. And I'm mm. thinking, is the BT not one of you? Mm. You know, and yeah. is these brothers not one of you? And one of the sad things is in all of this, so take the MLK conference, which, you know, had its, yeah, you could disagree Again, with the was, conclusions. Yeah, yeah. But were these, were, was Eric Mason not one of you? Were yeah. um, Eric Charlie Mason Dates. and Charlie Dates, who mm-hmm. gave very powerfully, Powerful. yeah. um, you know, powerful um, sermons on racial reconciliation they spoke powerfully and they spoke bluntly to it you could disagree with that but as I said to someone their closing their, their closing points on their closing gospel applications were some of the most uplifting mm. Most, mm. Most, most biblically consistent gospel centered I've heard mm. in years mm. these men are also on your side so you know yep. you should be you should be defending them as well you they're also creating, your brothers yeah you should yeah. be creating conversations with them more, more, more importantly perhaps than an our mother and stuff because you know these mm. men already. Mm. So yes, and and and, yeah. and 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 to brother Ryan and again just you know <laughs> to Ryan, um, if you have any you know closing remarks, please do give them. But the question I guess for you is, you know, when people disagree often with uh, on this on this matter, especially on 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 the side that's essentially really quite against uh, this kind of statement, um, they often we can often label the opposing side instantly racist and that is might not always be the most helpful thing to do in these kind of things so how should we handle these kind of disagreements how do you think we best handle it how do you think we best move forward and progress um the kind of discussions from here on out i know our brother yannick's touched on it and please also give any concluding remarks on your side concise yeah i I don't know if I'm the best person to answer the question about <laughs> how how do we respond? Because I mean, I, I I know where um, I've come from, it just culturally. Mm. I know where I could have gone because I was ha- I was headed down that road in my early teens. I was in a room with a large group of pastors where someone gave an example of uh, slavery historically in the USA Mm. as an illustration for a devotional that they were giving for context. This is in Tennessee. Mm. The man giving the devotional is from Illinois already. You have tension because he's a Yankee Mm. and, 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 and this is, um, you know, rebel territory, right? He was shouted down because of his slavery illustration. Mm. And to my recollection, I don't believe he was able really and truly to finish his devotional because the room disintegrated into a debate over the cause of the American Civil War. You have a room full of pastors, of spiritual leaders who are... uh, 
buying into a, um, a some sort of Confederate historical revisionism. Mm. Mm. And here, here's the rub. I bought it. I was enamored with it. Mm. I thought, this is amazing. This is great. I thought that the polarization that I was witnessing was um, was maybe a good thing, that the South would rise again. I went home a couple of years later. I was studying the American Civil War. I still love to study the American Civil War and uh, civil rights and all sorts of things. But I, I was doing so through uh, an increasingly pro-Confederate lens. Mm. Okay. Uh, I wrote an essay a very long essay, which will surprise no one who knows me. <laughs> but I posted part one of an indefinite number of parts, and my father discovered it. I posted it on my blog. Mm-hmm. 13 years old, I had a blog <laughs> writing about history, right? <laughs> Maybe not your typical 13-year-old. But... The gist of the title was The South Will Rise Again. And I was going to tell the history, and then I was going to tell my observation from being in the States and seeing the division. Now I see the USA even more divided than it was that year in 2004, 2005. Mm. And I look and I grieve. Mm. For some reason then, maybe it was some sort of, you know, adolescent rebellious streak or something. I thought this might be a good thing. It's a very bad thing. Mm. And to see it playing out in those who profess the name of Jesus Christ and to see that there are people who are right on this subject, I believe, Mm. biblically speaking. And there are people who are very wrong Mm. on this subject. And there are quite a few people who are in between who, um, depending on who they're they're hanging out with, lean one way or, or the, the other. other. Yeah. And so I look at that and I say, I can't sign this statement. I'll never be able to sign this statement mm. because of the ideology that I believe it represents, mm. which is one that is far too friendly to um, a if not a white supremacist, a white superioritist mm. confederate ideal mm. that maybe that was a Christian nation and we should pursue that model. And do you think a Christian do you think a Christian, a sound believer could sign that and yeah. In era I have and- friends who signed it. I have, you know, there's a I brother sat here who signed it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was it. with, um, <laughs> you know, I chatted, I, chatted through, I chatted through these issues with um, Gavin Peacock, a mm. uh, former mm. footballer. He signed it. He was one of the initial signatories. Um, he's a friend. We were at the CBMW conference last week together mm. and um, spoke with him about that. Um, and then that, uh, that was, uh, yeah, and there you weren't there. <laughs> and then um, two weeks ago, I was with um, Vody Bauckham in um, Frankfurt, Germany. Shout out, Vody. And um, yeah, good guy. And just that was that was great. We totally avoided the subject. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, someone suggested we should have an arm wrestle. And if, uh, you know, the if Vody won, I should sign the statement. In which case, I thought, yeah, I might as well just sign the statement. Um, but, you know, these are brothers. Mm. 
Mm. And and the thing is, I, I I guess my concern is how the mass of the, the, the grassroots in America today can co-opt his statement like this far too easily right. to shore up their, um, uh, you know, prejudices and their um, cultural superiority. Mm. So, yeah, that's my two cents worth. No, thank you guys, man. I really appreciated that. Thank you. Um, thank you. You know, before thank we you. close, I guess just 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 a word from me and then a word from Israel, you know, and, and, and we'll wrap up. But I guess something that just constantly rings through my mind when all is said and done is just, you know, how how wonderfully immense the glory of God is when all is said and done and how as image bearers we'll never be able to reflect him as just, you know, one homogenous group of people. But it really does take the billions upon billions upon billions of people that are in this world now and that have ever lived to actually capture something in each different type of culture and each different nation to capture something of that glory and even even when we get to heaven and all the nations bring in all their glory that won't even be a drop in the in the in the, in the ocean in comparison to the to the immense glory of god um in all its richness and in all its beauty and and therefore to to really hate anything other is almost to suggest in and of itself that your nation can capture that glory and that is that is error that is that's immense error and, and you know we do thank god for these kind of conversations that can be hashed out and you know i know not everyone in the room is even in perfect agreement but it's beautiful to hear that in one sense it almost sounds like you are because of the way that you are all trying to be biblical about the matter you're all trying to discuss it as brothers and there's that just that genuine respect for one another as as, as brothers in the lord and and israel have you got some suggestions for us in terms of reading um and resources when it comes to this topic of social justice quite a few um <laughs> so so I, I i would start by recommending um two books by tim keller first of all generous justice and his first ever published book um ministries of mercy and now we've got the tim keller out of the way so then there's <laughs> divided by faith by christian smith and michael emerson that goes over sort of the history and perspective of um race regarding um specifically the south white evangelicalism and African American and, and the African American experience, the color of compromise by Jamal Tisby that's coming out in January two thousand and nineteen, um, evangelism doing justice and preaching grace by um, Harvey Con. There's also Jesus Outside the Lines by Scott Souls and Befriend by Scott Souls. And last of all, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman and Aliens in the Promised Land by Anthony Bradley. And, 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 and Ryan's itching to give another one as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those, those are some of the ones that I had. Um, also, I've not read it yet, but it's in the mail, uh, Woke Church by Eric Mason. Right. Mm. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to digging into that. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's When Heaven and Earth Collide, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and The Better Way of Jesus by mm. Alan Cross. Um, and, you know, uh, Nicholas uh, Walterstorff has written a great deal on the subject of uh, justice. So uh, you can try Until Justice and Peace Embrace. Uh, also Journey Towards Justice, which is personal encounters in the global south. I, I love history. And I think that you can also learn a lot about this just by reading a good church mm -hmm. history. So mm -hmm. The Story of Christianity by Yesto Gonzalez mm -hmm. is uh, one mm -hmm. from a non-majority um, sort of majority culture perspective, which teases out some interesting things that... Mm -hmm. 
lots mm. of people might miss. And then, of course, there's patristics, guys like Basil the Great, mm. whose sermons on social justice have been collated. So hope that's helpful. I would, I would throw in um, uh, Rodney Stark, The Rise of Christianity, because that has a lot to do with in terms of uh, the impact of the church in regards to social justice and also Miroslav Volv, Exclusion and Embrace. Yeah, and I was, I, I also throw in... Um, the Bible by the Holy <laughs> by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> Isaiah and Amos, yeah, a bit of James. <laughs> no, James, I, yeah, you know, James I'm just glad it. to be out here. <laughs> you know, that one fanboy. Also, watch Many Rivers to Cross, which is a six-part uh, um, series. Uh, that's 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 great to watch. Uh, that's Henry Louis Gates uh, Jr. and Eyes on the Prize. Mm. Uh, that is a classic. You have to see that. That's mm. good. <laughs> best thing i can recommend is 13th <laughs> um, um, guys thank you so so much um for all your contributions thank, thank you, you for your resources thank you um honestly i can't words can't express how how grateful we are for everything that you guys have brought to the table today um but yeah as as per usual and um, with all our blackberry endings um i'm richard i've been kende uh yannick and I'm Ryan. And I'm Israel. And this is Black Berea. Brr.